We hear a lot about servant leadership today, but for a Catholic homeschooling family, it's a lot more than just a buzzword for enlightened teamwork. It's a way of life modeled on the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Today, we're talking with Jenny Bales about how her leadership roles teach important lessons to her children. Welcome to Homeschooling Saints, the podcast that helps you create the homeschool you love for the people you love. Our host is Lisa Maladnik, a Catholic life coach, TV host, best-selling author, and an instructor at Homeschool Connections. Hey, it's good to be with you again. I'm Lisa Maladnik, and today we're talking with Jenny Bales, a Catholic homeschooling mom who is passionate about encouraging and connecting mothers through their homeschooling journeys. She and her husband of 20 years live in North Texas with their four children, ages 7 to 17, who have been homeschooled all their lives. Jenny is addicted to tea, hot and sweet, dark chocolate, red wine, college football, and mystery novels, and cannot resist an opportunity to coordinate a conference, retreat, co-op, book study, social group, or a mom's night out. She loves to reflect on all aspects of Catholic homeschooling through the lens of our incredible Catholic faith. You can find Jenny and learn ways to join her in conversation at her website, heartofamother.net. Welcome to the program, Jenny. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Oh, and I just want to say a million thanks to you because we recorded this conversation once before and I (laughs) lost it. It (laughs) Like one of those humility lessons that you didn't ask for, but, you know, sometimes the Lord sees fit. He ha- he had more to say, apparently. <laughs> uh, yes, apparently God's timing is always perfect. So just to step our audience into a little background on your development and experiences as a leader. Sure. Well, I think my parents would say I was a natural born leader. Um, <laughs> maybe that was more challenging than they would have liked. <laughs> but um, I'm an oldest child and, you know, that sometimes comes with a lot of strengths and just from experience and obligation. but. I really kind of grew into some leadership as I got into high school and I was kind of thrown into some leadership positions and started learning what that looked like for me. And then in college, I had the amazing opportunity to be at the campus ministry at Texas A&M at St. Mary's where leadership skills are just, just they just blossom and bloom because of all of the uh, mentoring that happens there. So that's really where I identified that, oh, I'm actually good at this. And this is a gift from God that I would like to use in my life. So, started there. Beautiful. I've heard so much about Texas A&M and their youth ministry there at St. Mary's. And it's just so exciting that there are programs out there that help young people to identify those gifts and to live into them. Yes, that's so important. And it's also so important in phrasing the abilities that we have and the skills that we have as gifts from God. And that's, that's definitely what those kinds of programs do. It's so important. Yeah, as a life coach, I often find in myself and in my clients that sometimes when before there is that process of identifying gifts as gifts from God to be used, we can feel as though the things that we do naturally are just sort of self-indulgences in a weird yes. way, right? Yes, Instead of absolutely. saying, wait a minute, I'm going to focus this, I'm going to order this toward God's will and use it. Yes, yes. Because quite frankly, as I've grown in my leadership capacities and the things that I choose to lead are because I like them and they, I, I enjoy doing it. And so it can very easily fall into the, I'm doing this for me because this is my thing. 
um, rather than framing it as, okay, yes, God is allowing me to enjoy this and be blessed by this as well, but it is still kind of this calling that he's put on my life. Absolutely. And, and we all know that God permits suffering for our growth and that there are parts of leading that are not fun. But those, th those passions and those holy desires and that joy that bubbles up in the process, I really believe that's God holding our hands and, and blessing what we do. And because that joy is critical, isn't it? The joy of our salvation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so finding those places of joy. And I love Romans eleven twenty nine. We are irrevocably gifted and called. Those gifts are not just meant to be buried. So what does leadership look like in your homeschooling life? Like how does your family adapt to it? How are they involved? So tell us how that looks. Well, it's definitely evolved over time and figuring out as a new mom and then as a homeschooling mom and now, you know, 13 years into homeschooling, what this looks like has been different. Um, each season. And so right now it is full and robust and I'm, I feel called in many directions. You know, but when I started out, the things that I, that were put in front of me that I said yes to helping with or being in charge of or leading were very simple and appropriate to my stage. So, you know, when I had one new baby and couldn't do a lot, but still felt called, I would do the meal trains for the other new moms. I could do that from my computer, something simple, but I could do that. Um, I would um, lead, you know, a discussion one week of our mom's group out of the year, or whatever. And I'm like, yes, I should sign up for that because that's a, you know, gift I have. And that's a tiny bite to where as I got more seasoned and more confident in the the routines and the roles of being a homeschooling mom and just keeping up with the house and the schooling and realizing, you know, realistic expectations where that laid, what I could add into that. So I have, I've done everything from launch and lead an independent Catholic homeschool conference in San Antonio to, you know, I still have gatherings in my home every other week with what, whoever moms want to come and we read spiritual books together and discuss them. So we're reading some St. Francis de Sales now. So I, what, it's, it's always changed. It ebbs and flows. But for my family, it's been a good experience in learning to balance and learning to serve others, you know, because that's what leadership really is. It's servant leadership, as you mentioned, um, and wanting the good of the other people. So when, I, when we see a need, um, or when I see a need in my community, and I think, I, I reflect and discern, should I meet that need or not? I have the skills to meet that need, but that doesn't mean I jump right in. My family is a part of that, because we have to look at where are we how are we doing well? What areas of growth do we have? And is that an appropriate thing for me to take on right now? And so the kids are, you know, part of that. They're like, um, you know, are we getting our work done? Are we doing what we need to do? Is there anything that we are doing that isn't going well? And we have those conversations. So right now, I think I've just really learned that the children are learning both the servant leadership and how to lead and what that looks like. They learn a lot of hospitality too, because a lot of what I do is in the home because that's where I am and I have people over. And so they clean and cook and make things pretty and, you know, do all those things, but also learning that balancing balance. I think that's a lifelong struggle for all Christians is having the balance in their lives between all things and, and discerning, um, is this an opportunity that I need to use my gifts and feel fulfilled and, and do that versus maybe I need to make this sacrifice for my family right now. They're going through some stuff I need to back 
dial back, take a little sabbatical, so to speak. So my kids learn all of that just by being a part of the planning in the family. I feel like they're learning to be capable. They're learning to be selfless. They're learning to work as a team. They're learning to take direction. They're, they're all the things that you just described, the family weighing its own needs, uh, not against, but in, in the context of how can we serve here? How can we offer hospitality? And, and when is it possible for mom even to do something that's going to take place outside the home but require a good bit of her time and involvement and planning in the home? And how do we support that? Um, I feel like that's just opens the door for them to be leaders too. Do you see that? Like, do you see um, particular sort of uh, developmental leaps for them as they, as they serve in, in that way? Yes, yes. It definitely gives them kind of a, they can explore that with some confidence because they see that I've seen both, I have two teenagers now, and I've seen them in the recent years both step up in various capacities with groups that they're a part of, or, you know, um, even my son, who's very quiet, recently said something to me about, well, mom, can, if we do, if we invite some kids to the park for this, can I be in charge of the games? And I was like, yes, you can, because wow. he's testing out his leadership abilities there, you know, and, and deciding if he, he, he decided he felt comfortable doing that. So, and, and yet I also think an important thing they're learning, and I'm seeing in the two of them, is how to be a good follower mm. and who to follow, who are the right people to follow. Because when you will learn about leadership, you learn what makes a good leader. And I share some of the struggles. You mentioned struggles earlier. Being a leader is full of them. <laughs> um, just, you know, <laughs> what was it? Mother Angelica saying we would all be holy if it wasn't for people. <laughs> I mean, when you lead, you lead people. And so there's always challenges. And my children see some of that as they get older and are part of those conversations. And so they see what it takes to be a good leader, and then they can identify when they see other people trying to lead, is this someone I want to follow? Or is this someone I should be very hesitant and cautious about deciding to follow and do that? So I see both sides of it with them. They, they um, definitely are learning along this journey. Oh, absolutely. And what would you say if you had to identify some virtues that your children are becoming aware of in terms of what leaders to follow? What would you say that they res you're seeing them respond to? Right. Um, definitely integrity. Integrity is a big part of it. Just that idea of honesty and integrity. Um, they see, um, they point out when there's discrepancies. Um, they're starting to understand kind of the politics of leading. And so they want to see honesty and they want to see truth. And um, they're drawn to that naturally. Of course, we're drawn to truth, goodness, and beauty. And so they see that um, in various people who are in leadership positions, whether that's positive or negative um, virtues. They just love and charity. Um, there's a lot of, um, they know who, they can see who has mercy um, and who is too authoritarian. And so they're, they're learning more merciful acts, more compassionate kind of actions and words and how important that is. So just that always wanting the good of the other or the good of the community, that's love. That's, you know, the good of the other is love. And so I think they, that's a huge thing that they see and say, oh, you know, that leader's not quite looking out for everybody. They're looking out for just those people. But, oh, this leader really is trying to come to a good, good for all and good for the most people. So those are all 
really important. And I mean, just self-discipline too, I think. They see in me that when I struggle with self-discipline and when I succeed and that that, you know, with so many plates spinning, you know, a lot of, mm-hmm. how, how do you do it all? Um, question that we get. My kids see firsthand. I don't always do it all. And sometimes that's okay, but sometimes that's on me. Um, and so they see what I can accomplish when I am self-disciplined. And that's a, that's a virtue that they, I hope, are learning and internalizing, or at least I, I feel like they are. And that's, those are, that whole model that you just described, the person you can trust, there's integrity, consistency, when there is a breakdown saying, hey, that's on me. Um, but also the way you've invited them all to operate in their gifts as parts of your team so they know what that feels like. Um, we know as Catholics, as Christians, that Christ is the model here and that it's countercultural. And, and yet, without really realizing it, a lot of the corporate world is starting to follow this model. Of course, there's plenty of people out there um, not leading well. Uh, and maybe making a lot of money at the expense of other people. But I feel like you're setting your children up for success because this new model is team-oriented, collaborative, lift everyone up, recognize people's individual gifts, operate with integrity, transparency, all that. That model, which is based on Christ, whether they know it or not, is taking hold in the corporate world because they see profits rise. They see engagement of employees go through the ceiling. So like what you're doing here is one of the greatest lessons in success you could possibly give your children. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Just the idea of going back to, you know, a basic level customer service and just being kind to others and, you know, all of that takes, um, does take businesses further than, than the power and the money and what has maybe been a focus for some some individuals. So what are the what are the kinds of spiritual lessons that you would say lead, leadership has kind of funneled into your life or, or unveiled in your life? Lots of humility. <laughs> um, <laughs> definitely lots of humility. I have, um, as I said before, it, it has to be God. It has to be discerned that it's His will and that I do my best and let God do the rest. Um, you know, I see things come together and come to fruition when I just turn it over to him. And it's amazing to me what he's doing, even though everybody's like, you're doing that. I'm like, no, there's no way I'm doing that. That's all God. Um, because it really is when we, when we try and we put, you know, our efforts in, I see that. And, and so it's definitely humbled me and realizing that um, he's totally in control and crazy things happen but in the end he you know if I let him he will take care of it I have to have that trust and that faith my faith has definitely grown as a result of just seeing um the goodness that he's he's accomplished um in me or through me or whatever you want to call it it's just it's it's inspiring to me to keep serving because I see the difference that it makes to other people um definitely, like I said, challenges my virtue. And, you know, I I have to, I have to be generous and patient and all of those things with my children, my family, but also with the people that I'm leading or the the situations. And so, um, you know, just finding those, the balance between serving my family, serving other people, not overdoing it, um, all of those things I feel in staying centered in Christ um, it's kind of forcing me there. When I have more on my plate, I am forced to be more disciplined and focused and 
particular and careful. You know, if, if I'm super, super busy, I have to make sure, okay, but I'm going to stop and pray <laughs> because I could never stop. I think it was St. Francis de Sales who said, um, you know, every Christian should have a half an hour of prayer every day. And when they're busy, they should have a full hour, <laughs> um, which practically speaking, maybe added up to an hour over the day, you know, as a, as a mom having that chunk of time isn't always practical. But I think there's wisdom there that if we are, um, the more we take on, whether that be leadership outside the home or just leading our own family and the homeschooling, that's a huge task in itself. And we're called to be a leader there. We have to remember to always keep centered in prayer and centered on the Lord. So I've definitely had seasons where I haven't done that and seen the failures. And then I, you know, have, I'm, I'm still learning all of those things about about leading. When it has worked for you, let, let's look at two different aspects. In the hurly-burly of right before a conference or something like that, I'm not saying it worked all the time, but what has worked for you in the midst of that kinds of intensity for drawing into the quiet with the Lord? What has helped? Honestly, but I really, really try before I get out of bed in the morning to just stop myself because as soon as my feet hit the ground, I'm running. Um, but if I can lay there even for just 30 seconds and just say Jesus's name and just focus on Christ and offer the day to him, um, it makes a huge difference in my attitude. Um, before I have a big event, I do try to go to a holy hour um, sometime in that week before. Um, it, it just really forces me to, because I'm planning childcare, leaving the house, going somewhere else, it forces me to have that really focused prayer time where I'm not, you know, doing all the things that need done. Um, and also I just beg prayers from friends and family because I know that I have some powerhouse prayers in my life and I've been blessed with that. And so they really carry me through some of that. And I know that they're, they're there for me and are, you know, are asking the Lord to bless that time. And, and, there's also that sense uh, that a good leader knows their limitations and knows when to ask for help. I, I think we have this false idea that leaders just know how to do it all. They never have any questions. They're never without the answer. And of course, a leader does her best to be well-informed. And but, but there are those moments when the leader really wins their stripes, I think, with followers when they say, I need help. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that's an obligation of a servant leader as well, as you mentioned earlier, to identify gifts in others um, and how they can help. I, I'm always, you know, inviting um, others to help and, and do things that work for them to delegate because delegating is a skill in itself because you have to identify who it is that's going to be best at which tasks, um, what their gifts are, help them figure that out, and then not micromanage, trust that they're going to do what they you know need to do. So I definitely have learned some some tough lessons over the years that have helped me in that regard too. That I'm teaching others how to do these things and giving them some you know some role and some you know just ownership of what we're doing together, so that it's not just me. And and it's been great to see when you ask for help, people are more than willing if you divide it into bite-sized tasks. Absolutely. And there's a sense, too, that what we do ripples out into the larger church. Have you, over time, sort of gotten a sense, either in prayer or th things you've actually seen bearing fruit, of how your own leadership impacts the church? I hope so. Um, for, for as a leader that I am, I'm, I don't 
ponder the big picture often. Um, I'm more of a, if I have helped one person to be closer to Christ than I have succeeded for my entire life. <laughs> um, and so every time I see one person um, or I hear them, you know, give a testimony or share an experience that they had as a result of something we did or just a thank you. I know that that they're grateful for that. And that's something that, you know, I was able to bless them with or God was able to bless them through me. I know that my hope is, you know, my passion is Catholic homeschooling moms and helping moms get together, whether virtually or in person, or just give them the resources that they need to be fed and nourished because it's such a draining vocation. And I pray and I hope that they go forth from whichever event or gathering or conversation we have into their homes with more peace and more joy so that they're serving their family better, which is serving the church better. And those children are going to reap those benefits. And so that does ripple all throughout. Um, I have had, you know, some friends that have worked closely with me on various projects and then taken them over um, and, and kind of blossomed in their own leadership skills. And then that's, you know, feeding the church or who have started, you know, kind of a new ministry because they um, saw the need and, and saw me, I guess, leading and just doing it anyway, even if it's not perfect. And they had more confidence in doing that as well. But, um, but I definitely think the biggest influence is that when I'm working with moms, I'm, it's trickling to their families and their children and the future. Beautiful. And, and I love what you just said about letting people see that it, it's not always perfect, but it's still a good thing to do and that uh, that emboldens them. Do you find that even if someone isn't, like you mentioned your quiet son, having been a part of this all this time and then getting the desire to lead, if someone's not gifted in obvious ways that maybe somebody say, oh yeah, like they did with you when you were a kid, you were the, the, the oldest child, you had those qualities, you had the confidence. Um, not every child is that way. And yet, can, can anyone learn leadership uh, and, and carry it out? I think so. I do. I feel like um, it is something that you can learn um, and, and make it work for you. Now, what I've seen is that those who might not be um, or feel confident in their leadership and you know, we, sometimes we have skills we don't know that are there until we try. And so what I see is a lot of people hesitant to lead because they don't think they can. And then sometimes they do and they succeed. And you're like, see, you could totally do this. But they, <laughs> they like, um, you know, they like a set structure, a set plan. So when I've led something and they're able to copy that, then they feel more confidence. And so they have a set, you know, oh, Jenny did breakfast in her house once a month. I could do that because this I went to them and they were easy. It was a potluck and it was great. I could do that. Or, um, or putting on a retreat. Oh, Jenny, you did this. You know, how did you do this? And, and can you teach me? And I can hand them what I've done and say, yeah, you can do this and make it your own. And then they do, you know, and that's a beautiful thing because, um, as you mentioned, the, the church has many gifts. The church has many needs as a whole community of the body of Christ. And to, um, to see someone take on, you know, a project or a leadership role when they might not otherwise have is, is, you know, fantastic to witness. It's just, it's a good thing. And, and they learn their own path through what works for them and what doesn't work for them. And, and they surround themselves with people who can do the things that they can't. So, you know, there are some things that I'm not great at. And so I, 
you know, on bigger projects, I make sure I have people that are good at those things. I'm not mm-hmm. good at pretty. I don't, <laughs> I don't do pretty well. So if, if we want pretty tables at my retreat, I'm, I'm having someone else do that. They can decorate. <laughs> I don't decorate. I'm very um, orderly and structured and um, everything symmetrical. So <laughs> it's pretty, you know, so it's, I think that's a key skill that, that, that these women learn or that they can, um, other people can, can succeed, if, if, you know, as a team. And you know what? I feel like there's an important message to speak for every Catholic woman listening. And I'm sure there are Catholic men who feel this way too, but women in particular, we tend to feel like we're failing if we're not able to do everything. And and so this idea that we we have this false idea that the leader's competence is in all categories, but that ability, and this is a wonderful gift for all parents too, and any leader, to be able to do what you just described, to say, okay, here's where I'm operating in my gifts. And now I can make room for someone else to grow in confidence and joy in the Lord by helping cultivate them in their gifts. Like that's a gift I can give them. I'm not failing if I say I'm not good at pretty. So this woman here who is, I'm going to invite her in and now she gets to blossom. She gets to succeed and become a really important member of my core team or whatever it is. And we're doing that with our children day by day, aren't we? Yes. Yes. That's a beautiful point. Yeah. So any, any, anything else that's kind of hanging out there that you think is important to say about leadership or any aspect that we've covered, Jenny, what comes to mind for you as we're wrapping up? Well, I think that um, the most often question I get asked about, you know, doing all the things I do is how do I find the time to do it? Because as a homeschool mom, my time is, you know, always taxed, um, whether you have, you know, little ones, a big range, small family, big family. I mean, being a homeschool mom is taking on a big job and it's a big responsibility that should be taken um, seriously and and given our time and talents. So I think that um, I do what works for me and my family and I make choices about leading that that work for us. So what I mean by that is um, I lead a weekly park date here to just get kids together and we love just hanging out um, at the park. But the park is like half a mile from my house, (laughs) Um, which means a lot of the people that come drive further, but it works for me because I'm leading. (laughs) Um, So smart. Yeah. So I think part of it is I make conscious choices in making decisions about leading and about what I'm going to do that work for my family and reduce my, um, my, not necessarily my effort, but my time and my energy, make it as easy as I can for myself. And that's okay, because people will still come. And you don't have to please everybody, um, and you're not going to, but my family is still my priority. And so if there's something I want to lead that doesn't benefit my family in any way, um, doesn't is totally unrelated to what we're doing, because I've been asked to do things like that at, you know, at the parish level or something where kids can't go and it's during the day and I would have to find childcare. And, you know, I've said no, because that doesn't fit my season right now. My primary obligation is my family. Um, so I think that's, that's a huge part um, of being successful as a leader is making sure you're always, you know, deciding what's best for your family. Cause you're the, uh, a leader in your family. You know, our husband is, um, and is the leader and we have to, you know, discuss with him and, and, and find out, you know, where are we? He always says we shouldn't add something new if we're not doing what we're already doing well. 
it's kind of our rule. And so every time something new pops up, we discern, okay, what are, what's, what's going well, what's not going well, how can we improve upon it? And is this something we can take on that fits our family? So definitely the things that I choose to lead are chosen very carefully because they work for me and my kids. And I'm so glad you mentioned that discussion with your husband because somebody I know who's been in ministry with with couples and families for a long time through RCIA um, said to me that if you want to know God's will, make sure that you talk to your husband because he's speaking through that spiritual leadership. The headship of the father in the home is critically important and our society degrades and dismisses it. And so we can in in the fear of a false idea of domination, which is not part of our Catholic understanding of the husband's servant leadership, um, we can uh, we can miss out on the richness of his gifts and his calling to help to lift up his own family. And so we, I'm really just glad that that we're kind of ending on that note because I think it's something our society works so hard to destroy. Absolutely. And there have been there have been times I've wanted to do something and felt that I should, and my husband cautioned me and advised me not to. And so I said no, um, because he saw something that I didn't. And and I just, whether that was right or wrong, it didn't matter. It was just, okay, he really feels a concern here. I'm not going to take this on. And some, you know, I'll pray it out and maybe down the road, you know, it'll present itself again or something different. But yeah, I've really definitely made sure to take his counsel. And, and there were times that he asked me to stop doing things because he could see things were, you know, too much. And so we would discuss, well, is this something I can modify or do I need to drop it? Um, because when you're in it, you can't see, you know, all the effects it's having, because, especially if it's something that gives you joy <laughs> and you're willing to sacrifice more. Um, and so definitely his, his leadership has, has, I think, actually made my leadership so much better. Yeah. And, and that's another final point I think that it's great to include here is that when we let go of something that we're really attached to because we're good at it, it gives us joy, whatever it is, but we're getting that signal from our husband or, or spiritual director or wherever it's coming from, somebody that we trust that God has placed in our lives to help guide, that being willing to detach um, is so empowering in a lot of ways. It increases our trust in God. It allows someone else to pick up where we left off and get developed and all that. It's like Stephen Covey talked about the good can be the enemy of the best. What God has in mind for us is not always clear to us, but his plan is always better. His ways are always higher and more to, to, to the purpose of our joy and the well-being of our families. So such a great thing to be able to when the world would say, don't, don't listen to him. You go, girl. You do that thing that gives you joy, right? right? And just forget about the supernatural, that, the, the importance of the domestic church and the spiritual realities of that and, um, and our cohesion as a family, how critical that is to the church and society. So beautiful, beautiful insights to end on, Jenny. And uh, thank you so much for all that you do for moms and, and, which, and all of that that ripples out into the world. Thank you for this discussion. It's been very nice. I ha- actually have a retreat coming up soon, so I'm I'm in the midst of thinking of all these things, and it's it's very it's very good to reflect and and look at it in the context of 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 the whole journey of leadership and and what you know what that's been and what that can be and and continue to just pray that I serve well. 
Yeah, amen. And and please, everyone, pray for Jenny as she prepares for her retreat and so many other things that serve. And go take a look uh, at Jenny's website, heartofamother.net. You can also find Jenny on Facebook. And uh, everyone, please stay tuned for our special short feature coming right up. Hi there, everyone. This is From Ideal to Real. I'm Chantal Howard, and I've made it my goal to help pious aspirations come to life more easily in everyday living. Through this series of tips, challenges, and heartfelt reflections, I hope that embracing realistic expectations for holiness and homeschooling can empower you to deeper love and greater peace in your home. So here we are in the first week of Lent. And the fear of failure is already beginning to creep up on us. I don't know about you, but I got sucked into Googling Lenten ideas for homeschoolers. And before you know it, I was feeling like everyone was out Lenting me. There are suggested read-alouds, crown of thorn crafts, charts, planners, games, and hands-on activities galore. Instagram is buzzing with interpretations on fasting, and it seems there's a competition on to see who can out fast one another by following pre-Vatican II practices or going hardcore Byzantine for fasting this Lent. Don't get me wrong. It's an impressive array of devotion, and there are truly beautiful ideas that can enrich our experience and our family culture and draw us deeper. But lest we start to feel like Lent is all about tallying up our performances of do's, deeds, or maybe even don'ts, let's check our spiritual attitudes and intentions and remember that our good works and our acts of penance aren't for show and don't add anything to God's glory or our holiness if we allow ourselves to get stuck in comparison, arrogance, or anxiety. The heart of the season lies between complacency and arrogance. Or, if you're experiencing some FOMO, that fear of missing out, between complacency and anxiety. So here are three suggestions for you to chew on. Number one, prayerfully choose your Lenten practices based on your family's unique needs and circumstances. Maybe there's a pregnancy, sickness, maybe you've been under a lot of stress or you're experiencing trauma in your home. Maybe you've had a season of overwhelm. Be merciful and practical. Or perhaps maybe you're in a season of stability and you've sensed apathy creeping in and you've been overdoing the luxuries and living in a little bit more excess and you need to tighten things up and be a little bit more challenging this year. Don't choose too many goals to focus on. The church highlights three areas, fasting, almsgiving, and prayer. Maybe we should take a clue from Holy Mother Church and not bite off more than we can handle. Number two, once you've made your commitments, put your blinders on to what others are doing and remember that comparison is always the thief of joy. The Lord doesn't want us concerned about what everybody else is choosing to do for their Lenten commitments, but rather he desires our hearts. Number three, remember it's never too late to begin again. Don't be ashamed of making your Lent a series of do-overs. Maybe you make a mistake or forget 
to follow through on one of your commitments or your practices, begin again and again and again. So yes, Lent should challenge us to repentance, and it's a time meant to renew our spiritual sense of utter dependence on God's mercy. But let's guard our hearts carefully and work to make Lent a time of true, heartfelt movement towards the Lord. It's not a race, a competition, or a collection of Pinterest perfect posts. The heart of the matter lies in the secret of our trying, and there is no room for judgment, critique, or pride there. Only a true, humble attempt to give over our lives and our pathetic attempts to the Lord. Thanks for listening. I'm Chantal Howard, and you can find me at chantal-howard.com or aromarosary.com. I hope that you'll join me again for another episode of From Ideal to Real. That's our show for today. Our program is sponsored by homeschoolconnections.com, where you can get online courses for your grade school, middle school, and high school student. Learn from the experts and make your homeschooling easier. Be sure to leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. And we'll see you next time here on the Homeschooling Saints podcast.